Turn again in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel into chapter 10. First to consider from verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We have in this passage the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's memorable and it's apparently easy to understand. You're not to be like the hard-hearted hypocrites, these religious men. They were consecrated to serve the nation, the priest and the Levite. To bring the nation before God. To approach God on their behalf. The priest in the worship service, the Levite assisting the priest. And some wonder whether their avoidance of the man was to do with a concern to preserve their ritual purity. Well, if that was their excuse, it was a poor excuse. And it's an everyday figure of speech, isn't it, to pass by on the other side. That's what they did. They avoided. They went out of their way to avoid this man. There was an absence of love. There was self-interest, rather. The man, he could have been anyone. We're not told what type of man he was. We're told he was set upon. He was stripped and he was robbed. He was left for dead. And because he was stripped, it wasn't possible to tell what type of man he was. See, if he was clothed, you could have told whether he was a priest himself or a Levite. If he was a Jew, if he wasn't a Jew, his clothing would identify him. But because he was stripped, he could have been anybody. And to the priest and the Levite, they assumed he was nobody. And they left him. We're told they were going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Which supposes that the priest and the Levite were returning home after their service at the temple. After their worshipping God. After their leading the nation in worship. (coughs) And the journey from Jerusalem to Jericho is a significant hard journey. Because Jerusalem is upon the mountaintops, 3,000 feet. Or there's a difference of about 3,000 feet. Because Jericho is below sea level. And it was a mountainous route, rough and rugged. And lonely and vulnerable to thieves. But then came this third man. Wasn't a priest. Wasn't a Levite. He wasn't even a Jew. He was a Samaritan. And again, the good Samaritan is a figure of everyday speech, isn't it? He is a man. And he's a tremendous example. He's a wonderful role model. 
He's the anonymous hero. We don't know his name. We know nothing about him other than he was a Samaritan. But what he did was he did the right thing. He was motivated by love, regardless of the risk. He was practical and he was generous. And he was a despised outsider. Not only do we not know his name, no one would have asked his name because he was just a Samaritan. And he's the last person who anyone else would have helped. But he did the right thing. And in verse 37, our Lord, having responded to the man who asked him, who is my neighbour? And the man, having identified that was indeed the good Samaritan who was the who was a neighbour to him that fell among the thieves. In verse 37, our Lord says, Go, and do thou likewise. And so it seems obvious then, doesn't it? We're to go and do likewise. We are to be a good Samaritan. We're to be generous and kind. We're not to make a name for ourselves. To simply do the right thing. To be governed by that higher principle of love, kindness, and generosity. And how different our world would be. How different our immediate society here would be. If we were to go and do likewise, to be like the Good Samaritan. Even the influence that just one or two could have upon the city of Inverness. To conduct themselves like this. There's much truth in this, isn't there? There's so many who are beaten and broken by society that just passes by on the other side. And it's crying out for there to be a demonstration of, of gospel love. Of compassion upon the broken. Those who are nameless. Those who have become nobodies. Who are so easily forgotten. I'm not speaking about a social gospel. Which substitutes friendliness for faith and Repentance. But rather, there be a demonstration of that true gospel of faith and repentance in showing love to our neighbour. In fact, James says in chapter 2, his epistle, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful for the body. What doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Perhaps one of the reasons so few are willing to listen to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in these days is because so few feel the impact of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Maybe so few are made to feel the reality of it. They don't see it worked out. We're surrounded by a broken society. And it's not someone else's responsibility to help those who've been forsaken, abandoned, those who are broken. And the question is not even primarily, whose fault is it? Was this man foolhardy when he travelled down that road alone? Did he invite trouble? Did he bring it upon himself? That's not the issue. There was a man lying in a heap. He was left for dead. The Samaritan had compassion upon him. It's not someone else's responsibility. No, when charity is professionalised, it becomes very cold and impoverishing. Impoverishing for the victim. It's impoverishing for the whole of society. You don't need all the answers. What you do need is a willingness to start asking the questions. To ask this great question, can I help? And to show that you care. Go and do thou likewise. It's a very appropriate way, isn't it, for the Christian to live. It should be how you and I live our daily lives. And friends, when we look at this parable and its context, it's important that we understand that it's asking about something more fundamental, more foundational than that. What I've said is true. It's a very significant and it's a very real truth that we need to challenge ourselves over. We need to be able to answer faithfully before God. It is important that we understand what we have in this passage as well. And we can understand this passage by perhaps asking three questions. And the first question is this. Are you deceiving yourself? Are you deceiving yourself? And I ask that question of you because that's the question that really was being asked of the man who asked the first question. This lawyer who stood up and tempted our Lord saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He expresses the question that many people ask. And it's possible that maybe you yourself are asking that here today. What can I do? You maybe heard a story of an evangelist who was conducting a series of meetings in a community. He set up a tent and he preached every night of the gospel. And people would come and some people would show a response and other people didn't. And then after the final meeting, the next day, he was beginning to clear up and he was dismantling the tent. And a man who'd attended all the meetings through the week and had been challenged, but who had been fearful and held himself back and tried not to show anyone he was interested. 
He was burdened that night, and so he came, and he was glad to see the evangelist was still there, that although the meetings were over, he was dismantling the tent, but the man was there, and he came up. He says, sir, he says, sir, help me. He says, what is it I must do to be saved? The man kept working in his tent. He didn't turn around. He says, you're too late. The man said, what do you mean I'm too late? How can I be too late? Am I too late because it was last night you finished? Am I too late because you're packing up the tent? He says, no, you're too late. Because the Lord did it. The Lord did it thousands of years ago. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There's nothing that you can do. You know, we can deceive ourselves in thinking that it lies in our own power to save ourselves. That's what this man thought. And he stands up, apparently willing to do whatever it would take. But it's impossible. It's not impossible to be saved. But it's impossible to save yourself. You can't save yourself because you're a sinner and you're dead in your sins. You cannot make yourself righteous. You need to be saved out of your sins. You need to be saved by one who is righteous. You know, there are so many. And they're lost. And in part, that's because of this relentless resilience, this thought that next time, this naive optimism, they know they're not saved, but maybe next time they'll get it right. And they try, and they try, and they try again. The delusion of next time. That somehow, from somewhere deep inside yourself, you can find what is necessary. If that's your thinking today, then you're deceiving yourselves because it's not in you. It doesn't matter how deep you dig in your own heart and soul. It's not in you to save yourself. It's interesting because this question which was asked of our Lord, it wasn't even an honest question, was it? Luke reveals that to us in verse 25 and then again in verse 29. Verse 25, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying. In verse 29, He, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus. It wasn't an honest question. In fact, it was a question that was asked to trip up our Lord. To expose our Lord and to show himself, to reveal himself to be someone. He didn't believe he needed Jesus. He felt able to dismiss our Lord. You know, it's possible that you're here today and you're like that. That you're not really convinced that you need the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps you feel that you're able to dismiss him. Perhaps you would never dream of doing so in the way that this man did. But yet in the quietness of your own heart, you reject the Lord. Unnecessary for you. 
Are you deceiving yourselves, friends? It's possible, isn't it? It's only too easy to think that you can do it yourself. This man had too low a view of the Saviour and he had too high a view of himself. I think it's fair to say that if you look back to the Gospel of Luke, you'll see that those who our Lord had previously helped were the needy, the broken and the bewildered, you might say. Or those who had different illnesses. There was those who were possessed of devils. Those who were in bondage. Those who evidently, so, so evidently needed help. But this man was somebody. He wasn't a nobody. He wasn't broken. He wasn't bewildered. He's a man who felt that he had control, that he had power, he had the answers. easy to do that too isn't it you can look around and there's so many people who are broken and bewildered but you're not like that you have as it were so it seems it all almost in your hand so much so that you feel that all you have to do is really just take hold of it yourself We're told he was a lawyer. A lawyer was really a scribe. He's an expert in the law of God. Different from a lawyer today. It was the religious law he was an expert in. And it's interesting because although he doesn't ask an honest question, he's given an honest answer. And the Lord, in his mercy, directs him back to the law that he was meant to know so well. First of all, I ask the question, are you deceiving yourself? Are you in denial of your sin and your need for a saviour? Are you in denial about your inability to save yourselves? The saviour said elsewhere, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Secondly, I want to ask if you're discovering yourself. Are you discovering yourself even as you hear the word of God? Because that was the purpose of our Lord's answer. When he said to the scribe, what, what is written in the law, how readest thou? He said to the man, Search the scriptures. Our Lord was not in any way commending a works-based salvation. He's not saying to the man, well, you can save yourself if you only follow what it says in the scripture. Rather, what he was saying to the man was, if you would search the scriptures, you will see that these are they which testify of me. 
or as Paul puts it in Galatians, that the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. See, the purpose of the law was not to prove you entitled. But the purpose of the law, rather, was to prove you broken. The purpose of the law was to prove that you needed a saviour. The purpose of the law was to confront you with the reality of your sin, that you might bow before God and confess the folly and your inability and to cry out for mercy. That's why Jesus says in verse 28, Thou is answered right, do this do, and thou shalt live. He says you do need to love the Lord with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbour as yourself. And if you follow that law to its logical conclusion, you shall live. Because if you follow that law to its logical conclusion, you shall cry out to the Lord for deliverance. And you shall trust in the Lord's Messiah, in the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world. But we're told in verse 29, the man still willing to justify himself, said unto the Saviour, But who is my neighbour? Who is my neighbour? And it's an answer to that question that we have the parable of the Good Samaritan. The purpose of the parable is not to show the way of salvation, but rather to show who the neighbour is. Who your neighbour is that you should love and serve and be faithful to and we can speculate as to the answer the man was maybe expecting he was a scribe a lawyer a religious elite he was a man who was somebody who was something and perhaps he was anticipating some appropriate peer group that's your neighbour you're part of this group. These are the ones who look out for you and you're to look out for them. But you understand our Lord's answer. Our Lord's answer is that it is everyone, everyone that you encounter. The Samaritan. The very name, the Samaritan, it caused the Jew to recoil with rancor. There was great prejudice, there was enmity. The Samaritans were hated and they were hateful. This mongrel breed who had so twisted the worship of God. Worse than the ignorant Gentile. And what our Lord is showing this man is the impossibility of it all. You think you can love your neighbour, but this is who your neighbour is. And even just to mention the name of your neighbour, it causes you to step back. 
Because you have contempt in your heart. Because your heart is proud. Because you don't have that love and that compassion and that mercy. The purpose of this passage, of the answers our Lord gives in directing the man to the law and then giving the account of the Good Samaritan is to reveal to the man his own heart. That he might discover himself. That he might see that his heart is not pure. And the love of God is the same purpose for you, friends. Do you, when you read the scriptures, apply it to yourself and recognize your own inability to stand? Do you meditate upon God's word and realize that it shows you your need of the Savior? scribes, the Pharisees, the priests, they have broken God's law down into a series of external commandments. And they were able to establish their own righteousness in their own terms. A series of tick boxes. They did this and they did that. And therefore they were better. In fact they were good. Better than anyone else and good enough. And the Lord doesn't take the scribe anywhere other than where he's been before. But he asks him to come back with an honest focus. What does the law of God require? That you love the Lord with all your heart, and your mind, and your soul, and your strength. It means all of you. Every part of you. And Martin Luther, we're told, hated the righteousness of God. Shocking to hear that, isn't it? Shocking to think that. But he hated the righteousness of God. And the reason he hated the righteousness of God was because the righteousness of God was beyond him. And it didn't matter how hard he tried. It was always beyond him. He couldn't get there. And it left him so broken that he said he hated that righteousness. It emphasized what he wasn't and what he couldn't be. Until, until he came to realize that the righteousness that the scriptures demands of us is a righteousness which we're told is given to us. It's given to us by faith in Jesus Christ. It is not something we are to achieve, but rather it is something that we are to accept. It is the gift of God. <clears throat> it's 
says in Galatians chapter 2, a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. For by the works of the law, of the law shall no flesh be justified. Not justified by our own works, but rather justified through his works. For he fulfilled all righteousness. He who became the sin-bearer, so that our guilt and our shame was placed upon him. And not only did he make atonement for that in the laying down of his life, but he fulfilled all that was required under the law. And that is the righteousness which is imputed unto you who is in Christ. But we will not come and seek that. We will not cry out to the Lord to give us that. If we deceive ourselves and we do not understand ourselves and we think it's still within our own power to achieve it. That's what we have here. The Lord is challenging. This man, but he's challenging through this man, you and me today. Are you deceiving yourself? Will you come and consider his word? And will you discover yourself? And in discovering yourself, will you also discover your need of him? And discover him himself? Because here he is revealed, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. But then there's the few verses at the end of the chapter from verse 38. And it seems as though that's something quite separate, but Luke must have a purpose for putting this account here when we're told the Lord went to a certain village to the home of Martha and her sister Mary. I believe the purpose of this passage is related to what we've just considered. You see, the Good Samaritan is such a powerful parable, isn't it? It's very memorable. You know it, children, and you've kind of always known it, and you've had a sense that you've understood it. But this parable, as it's recorded here in an incident with this lawyer, it's unresolved. It's unresolved and the Lord leaves him with a challenge. Go and do thou likewise. Go and discover this. But we're not told the outcome. We're not told if he made that discovery. If he realised his own sin and his need of a saviour. And because it concludes with this challenge, go thou and do likewise. There's a danger that we simply leave it there too and feel that this is simply a call for us to live as a good Samaritan. As I said before, it's right that we do apply ourselves to live well, but that's not the primary purpose of this passage. It's not to require us to live well, but to show us that we can't live well.
And I think the narrative that Luke gives us draws attention to what happened in Martha and Mary's home to help us realise that. Because while it speaks of the compassion of our Lord for these women in a day when society would have no place for women, that the purpose is this that there were two sisters, both we know loved the Lord. We read much more about them in John's Gospel. But one was busy doing and the other one was hearing. Martha was busy doing but Mary had chosen the better part. And it's a balance, isn't it? To the potential misunderstanding of the Good Samaritan. Because the potential misunderstanding is an obligation simply to do And we are to not be hearers only, but to be doers of God's word. But our doing mustn't be at the expense of hearing. And that's what had happened to Martha at that point. She got so caught up with all the responsibilities of hospitality that she was flustered and frustrated came to complain to the Lord himself that her sister wasn't as flustered and busy as she was. And our Lord so graciously corrects her. Tender words, aren't they? Martha, Martha. Thou art careful and troubled about many things, but but one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part. It wasn't that Martha's activities were wrong. Our priorities were wrong. We're to be doers, not hearers only, but we're always to be hearers. Doers, not hearers only, but, but always hearers. Friends, If you're too busy to hear the Lord Jesus Christ, you're too busy. And so we have three questions. Are you deceiving yourself? Are you discovering yourself? And are you devoting yourself? Because that's what's required. Not that you don't do anything. But that in your doing, there is a devoting to Christ. A depending upon Christ. A waiting upon him. So often in the Christian life, there's a tendency to extremes, isn't there? And there's some who are too busy. There's maybe some who are not busy enough. What is the answer? Surely the answer for all is the same. And it's to return again unto the Lord who is our righteousness. 
and in the realization of who he is and what he has done, that we would then live for his glory. There's a need for that balance. Not hearers only, but doers. But not doers only, but hearers. To come again to the Lord who is our righteousness. And then to live for his glory. And surely that's a great challenge for you and me today. To consider him. To live for his glory in such a way. That those around us would know. Our society would know. That the world would know. That the Lord is in the midst of his people. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we ask that you might have mercy upon us. And deliver us, O Lord, for we confess that we tend from one extreme to the other. We confess, O Lord, that so often we are blind to self, whereas it's easy for us to see the faults in others. We confess, O Lord, that oftentimes we have a familiarity, even a great understanding of the gospel, and yet fail to apply it to ourselves. O gracious God, we confess with shame that we do not live the way that we ought. And too often we're taken up with our own immediate comfort and convenience. And we harden our hearts to the situation of those who are around us. Oh, deliver us from self-serving. Deliver us from self-seeking. Deliver us, O oh Lord, from folly and from pride. And give us grace then to go out and to live faithful lives that would show forth the reality of the grace of God. Oh, we bless and praise you that our righteousness is to be found in him, that we stand in him this morning. And we pray that you would give us to understand this in a greater, in a clearer way. Come then, O Lord, and do us good and receive our praise. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <coughs> We're going to conclude singing to God's praise in Psalm 40, from verse 8, Psalm 40. These are words which are spoken by the Saviour, but which should be echoed by us, his people. Psalm 40, verse 8 to verse 11. To do thy will I take delight, O thou my God that art. Yea, that most holy love thine I have within my heart. Within the congregation great I righteousness did preach. Lord, lo, thou dost know, Lord, that I refrain not my speech. I never did within my heart conceal thy righteousness. I thy salvation have declared and shown thy faithfulness. Thy kindness, which most loving is, concealed have not I, nor from the congregation great have hid thy verity. Thy tender mercies, Lord, for me, O do thou not restrain thy loving kindnesses and thy truth. Let them 
we still maintain. Sam Forky from Verse 8. To do thy will, I take Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, rest on and abide with you, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Amen.